welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Hello, everybody. It's good to see you all. Uh, my name is Seth, as uh, Tony's already introduced me. And uh, we are going to continue part 4,238 of our <laughs> Rebels, Riots and Revolutionaries um, series. However, I think it's 19. That's more accurate, isn't it? Part 19. And uh, what it is, we're doing an overview of the Book of Acts. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, the Book of Acts was written some 2,000 years ago. Uh, it's part of the Bible. And its purpose was to provide with an overview of the birth and the growth of the Christian church. And uh, our purpose through this series has been that we may learn something and be inspired by the lives of those who comprised the early church. And tonight, we pick up the account from chapter 19, and uh, we're going to pick it up from verses 23 and 31. So if you've, got, um, if you've got your Bibles here with you, please turn there. If you don't, it will be up on the screen soon. But just to uh, catch up to speed with what's happening, basically, it's Paul's third missionary journey. And what we mean by that is that he's basically going around the place telling anybody who would care to listen the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, right now we find him in the city of Ephesus, and uh, he is about to cause some major trouble. He's going to wreak some havoc in this city. In fact, the city is going to be in such an uproar that he's actually going to cause a riot in this city. Because as we know by now, sometimes his message about Jesus Christ was well received. Other times it wasn't so well received. And uh, this time in Ephesus, it'll be no exception. There is some trouble brewing. And uh, any troublemakers out there? A few? Then you're going to love this. I love this text. I reckon it's really good. Uh, so Acts 19, verses 23 to 31. Uh, let's have a look at what's happening here. Now, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Now, that word, the way, that was what people back then gave to uh, Christianity. It was called the way. So that's what we're talking about. So there was a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, and Artemis was their main goddess at the time, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him to not venture into the theater. Now, this passage, like I said, I think is a really, really important passage for, for many reasons. But one of them is because it actually highlights a really crucial and important part of Paul's ministry. And it's simply this. 
that wherever Paul went, he challenged and exposed the idols of the people that he was ministering to. He challenged and exposed their false idols. And like I said, it's a really important part of his ministry. That's what it involved. That's what he liked to do. And we see throughout the book of Acts that he does just that. In Acts 14, in, in Lystra, he does it. In Acts 16, in Philippi, he does it again. And probably the most famous part is in Acts 17, which Pete looked at a couple of weeks ago, in which he goes into a temple and sees all these idols, all these gods, and he says they're false. And he challenges the people in those temples about those false idols. So this is really important because this is something that was very important to Paul, that wherever he went, he would expose and challenge those idols. And I think it's significant for us as well, because like Paul, we need to be a people that expose and challenge the idols in our own lives. And that's what I think we can learn from this passage tonight. It is vitally important because we all have idols, All of us have got false idols in our lives. And I think by looking at Paul's example, we should be able to learn something about how to confront those idols. I firmly believe that it is because of us not maybe exposing and challenging the idols in our own lives that we sometimes don't grow, that we stay stagnant. I think it's also sometimes why when people give their lives to Jesus, they don't seem to get any further than that. I believe it's because they don't expose and confront the idols in their lives. So I think there's a lot that we can learn from this passage, uh, from Paul's example. But before we go on, just let me explain what an idol is. So we're on the same page. An idol is basically anything that you put between yourself and God. Simple as that. Whatever you worship, if you find your self-worth from something else, if you find your joy and your delight and your hope, if you validate yourself through anything else, but through God, anything that you worship and sacrifice to other than God, that is an idol. If you're here tonight and you don't know God, you are worshiping something. You have idols in your life. You might worship your money, your talent, your family, your spouse, whatever it may be, you are worshiping something. But also, if you're a Christian here tonight, sometimes things happen and we lose focus and things come into our lives. And we begin to focus on those things and worship idols. Worship things that are not the one and true living God. So I think tonight there is a lot that we can learn from this text. Because the question is not, are we going to worship? The question is, what are we worshiping? And the question that I have for you tonight, and it's a question that I have as well for myself as I was preparing for this message, because I have to deal with idols in my own life, is, okay, what am I worshiping right now? Am I worshiping the one true God? Or are there things in my life that I know that I am sacrificing to? Things in my life that I am worshiping which aren't the real and one true God. So tonight, I've actually simply called my message, um, Putting Idols in Their Place. And like I said, we're going to just look at Paul's example and also the example of the people of Ephesus and see exactly how we can go about dealing with the um, idols in our lives. So we're going to pick up the account from verse 26, and I'll just read it to you again, because one of the things that we need to be able to do to actually be able to deal with idols, and it's the first thing that we see that Paul does here, is simply recognize them. We need to be able to recognize the idols in our lives. Verse 26 says this, 
And you see in here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Don't you love Paul's courage? Just confronts his people. Says, hey, what you're worshipping, what you're sacrificing, that thing that you're calling a god, that is no God at all. Here we see that Paul is able to recognize the idols in the lives of the Ephesians. He says, you know those golden statues, those silver ones, those bronze ones, those big ones, those little ones, those ugly ones, those fat ones, those skinny ones, all those things that you're sacrificing your time, your money, and your effort to, those things that you're bowing down to and worshiping, I've got bad news for you. All those things that you call gods are no gods at all. He recognizes that they are idols. And that is what we need to be able to do. That is our lesson for us from this text. We need to be able to look at our lives and recognize the gods that are no gods at all. We need to be able to look at our lives and recognize what idols we may have there. We need to look at his example and be able to say, well, I may have been throwing my money into this thing. I might have been throwing my time and my effort. I might have been worshiping this thing. However, this is no God at all. There is one true God that I need to turn to and I must stay away from this thing because this is no God at all. I tell, I'll, I'll confess something. I've got a few idols in my life. I've got four of them. It's my children. They can easily become an idol. If I'm not careful, they can easily become my idols. And uh, even, even this morning, um, God gave me a picture. I was, I was trying to worship. I was seeing Jesus at the center and uh, my daughter was with me and uh, she starts doing her little ballerina twirl. It's a little dance that she does when she, when she sings. She's at the center. So I'm singing Jesus at the center. And I see her and I go, oh, isn't that cute? And suddenly I start thinking about Jesus. <laughs> and I start looking at my daughter doing a little ba- ballerina twirl. And uh, with a center thing. She does a little center dance. Uh, and I'm looking at her. And suddenly I'm just focusing on my daughter. And I've forgotten about what I'm worshiping. And then I go, oh, no, I'm worshiping. That's right. Jesus be the center of it all. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You know it. <laughs> so I'm worshiping there. And then I just remember my daughter and I just go, oh, but she looks so cute. And I just take a peek. Go, oh, there she is. Doing a little battery dance. I got Jesus at the center of it all. So, and I'm, I'm t- you know, I'm, this little fight here between Jesus and, and my daughter. Jesus won. Jesus usually wins, but it takes a while. I tell you, like most parents, you know, my children can take my focus away from God. I know that. So I need to be very, very careful with that. Especially... When I consider scriptures like this, a very scary scripture, I think this is a very scary scripture. In Matthew, 30, sorry, Matthew 10, 37, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Ouch. That hurts. That hurts. If it hurts you, you're we're in the same boat here. And it's a progress. It's a process. You know, we can't start there. But I, I, as long as we recognize it, as long as we know that that's what we need to aim for, that's what's important. That even our family, even if we love our family more than God, God is saying, you've got the wrong priority. You need to love me first. You need to get rid of anything. This is what, this is what God is saying through the scripture, basically. He's saying, you need to get rid of anything in your life. Not get rid of them, literally. I don't mean that. <laughs> Sorry. You need to focus on me more. You need to love me above all else. 
And that's the, the challenge for us tonight. Do we love God above all else? Are there things in our lives that we love more than him? If we do, I'm sorry, but they are idols. They are idols because God requires us to give, us our, give him our full and total 100% commitment and love. I think to practically apply this, this well, this is what I do. I, I like to ask myself a few questions. So I'm going to ask you a few questions tonight. Uh, because I think this is one, one good way to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And um, I think there's some really interesting, important questions that we should be able to ask ourselves so that we may be able to determine whether we have idols in our lives. And um, one of them is this. I'll just throw a few out to you. And uh, as I said, I ask myself these questions often to try and uh, test myself. Number one, what is it that you desire most? What do you desire the most? These are rhetorical. You don't have to scream them out. You don't have to answer them. You don't have to gnash the teeth and weep. It's okay. Just think about them. What do you desire the most? My Bible tells me that I need to desire God's kingdom and his righteousness above everything else. That's a challenge. Who, number two, who or what do you turn to for help? Who or what do you turn to first for help? I'm talking about first. Is it a vice? Is it a habit? Is it a person? Is it a place? Or is it the cross of Jesus Christ? Where do you turn to first for help? If, if the cross is not the answer, maybe. Maybe there's an idol in your life. Number three, who or what do you turn to for comfort? Who or what brings you the most joy? My Bible tells me that I need to delight in God above all else. Who or what brings you the most joy? Again, if the answer is anything but God, maybe there are things that we need to look at in our lives. Who or what do you sacrifice the most amount of time, treasure, and talent for? And why? I think there's a probing questions that we can ask ourselves. As we often say, we love to study the Bible and understand what's in it, but we need to be able to be people who interpret the Bible and also be able to apply it to ourselves. And I, I always ask myself a lot of questions when I read the Bible. So very probing questions that I know can reveal things in my heart. And I think there are big idols, I think there are small idols, and everything in between in my life. And I, through some of these questions, I'm able to recognize them. And the last one is, who do you turn to for approval? Do you turn to God for approval? Or do you seek the approval of man first? My Bible tells me that I'm, I'm supposed to seek to please him above all else, above anything else, above anyone else. And when I do that, everything else will take care of itself. So who do I turn to for approval? I think if we ask ourselves these questions, it's going to go a long way in helping us to recognize the idols in our lives. And that's what we're talking about. That's what Paul does here when he confronts the people in Ephesus. Something else that he does and something else that he manages to get the people to do and something else that we must do once we recognize the idols is to remove them. It's as simple as that. As soon as we recognize them, don't flirt anymore, don't muck around anymore, remove the idols from your life. In verse 27, he goes on to say, um, these are the people talking about Paul and the effect that he has had in the city. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, 
but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. Here we see that because of Paul's ministry, the people had begun to destroy the idols in their lives. Isn't that fantastic? Paul exposed them and they began to destroy them. They began to get rid of them straight away, without any hindrances, without hesitation. They recognized their idols and they, they destroyed them. They burned them. Some people that even practiced witchcraft began to burn their scrolls. In an earlier verse, I just want to read this to you. Uh, it says, Many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. What does that mean? I'll tell you in a moment. So the word of the Lord grew mightily. 50,000 pieces of silver. In a, in a later commentary, um, it goes on to say that a drachma, which is what they earned, was a silver coin representing about one-fourth of a day's wage. And if we estimate 300 working days a year at an income of $25,000, this amount represented over $1 million. So what, when we read this, we need to realize they were talking about a lot of money. They were talking about their livelihood. Yet they recognize that they're idols, and they don't wait, they burn them. They get rid of them, irrespective of the cost, irrespective of the price. Now, there are things that we hold dear to our lives. There are things that have cost us money. There are things that we've sacrificed to. There are things that mean the world to us. However, when we recognize them as idols in our lives, we need to respond exactly like the Ephesians did and destroy them and burn them, kill them dead, get rid of them. That is the only way to deal with an idol. You don't starve an idol dead. You kill an idol. You destroy an idol. You remove it from your heart and you place God, you place Jesus at the center of it all as we sing every Sunday morning. That's what you do. You remove idols drastically, just like the Ephesians did. I think a good way to get rid of the idols in our lives is actually understand them a little bit more. And um, I'm going to give you three types of idols that exist in our lives. And you may be able to relate to some of them and recognize them and go, oh yeah, that's, I'm a bit guilty of that. But basically, there are three types of idols. For those of you taking notes, I'll give you three really quick. There are personal idols, there are cultural idols, and there are religious idols. Personal, cultural, and religious And I have many of them in each one of these categories. Some really big, some really small that I'm dealing with. Some I have dealt with. Some I'm still trying to just just remove them from my heart. But there's there's the three types. I'll give you a few examples of each. Personal idol, money. Money. The making of money, trying to get money. Sacrifice. Don't forget, worshipping an idol is when you sacrifice to a god. That's what they used to do. Some people sacrifice their health, they sacrifice their families, they sacrifice their children to make money. Money can be an idol. Not all the time, but it can be. Romance, it's another personal idol. I know so many people that have been dumped and they think, oh, the one and only has left me. My life has no meaning, it's gone, it's all over. If you feel like that, maybe that person was an idol in your life. Maybe God removed that person from your life. Just that he can become the center of your life again. If you find your self-worth and your validation, if you look for someone else to complete you, maybe you have an idol in your life. I'm not going to do the voice. (laughs) Children, like I said, children can become an idol. Parents that live their lives through their children. I'm a soccer dad, 
And every Sunday, I, I fight, every Saturday, sorry, I fight back my clenched fists because I just want to punch people in the face. Parents, parents that live their dreams and their lives to their children. And you see the way they treat them. See the way they deal with them. When they do well, it's like they're, oh, they're like these little demigods. When they let their parents down, oh, it's all over. You hopeless child. You can just see it in the attitude. And I'll tell you, one day I'm going to be in the paper. Because I, I, it, there's nothing irks me more. It's, it's, it's not sheep stations. It's just a game. But you see that these parents are living their lives for their children. So when their children let them down, then it's all over for them. They crumble. That's because they've become idols in their lives. They need to be removed. There's a few examples of personal idols. We've got cultural idols. Uh, idols. We live in, a, in an age of self, with self-awareness and self-esteem. and uh, It's self-this, self-that. You're the most important person in the world. It's all about you. That's a cultural idol. We live in an age where beauty is an idol. How important is beauty to you? How important is it for you to look beautiful? How important is it for you to seek beauty? It's an idol of our culture. There's also religious idols. How important is your ministry to you? Do you get your validation from your ministry? When you do really well in whatever it is that you do, do you feel like God loves you more, that he approves more of you, that you've won his favor, that you're more, a little bit more righteous? Sometimes I feel like that. I often ask myself when I feel like I've preached really well, why do I feel like God loves me more? He doesn't. Sometimes I feel like I've blown it. Why do I feel like God loves me less? He doesn't. So maybe I've made a little bit of an idol of this thing that I'm doing now that I have to deal with. And I've had to in the past. So religious, what we do with religion, that can become an idol as well. Where do you get your validation from? What if whatever you're doing right now gets taken away from you? How are you going to feel? Are you still going to be as strong, as confident, self-assured? Are you, are you going to know that God loves you, that you're the apple of his eye, and everything that you've always claimed to say? Yeah. If you don't, maybe, just maybe, you've just made a little idol out of this thing that you're doing. They're everywhere. Idols are everywhere. And like Paul did so wonderfully when he walked into cities and was able to determine there's an idol, there's one here, there's one there, and confronted people with them. And he was able to recognize them and remove them. We tend to be a people that are able to recognize and brutally, like these people there, just burn them, just get rid of them. Don't waste time. Pete talked wonderfully this morning about the blessing of obedience. Just obey, just do it. Even if you don't understand, it doesn't matter, just obey. Just see it through and you'll see the blessing of obedience. So when you think about this message, if you do, I hope you do, and maybe even now, if God is highlighting something to you, maybe you've recognized something, don't waste time in removing whatever stands between you and the living God. Once you've done that, the best thing to do is to replace your idols. Make sure that you replace your idols. So you've recognized them, you've removed them, and now you've got to replace. You've got to replace. Verse 27 says this, and the goddess herself, goddess Artemis, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. 
Here we see that because of Paul's ministry, the people had begun to replace their idols with the one true God. They began to move away in droves from this goddess Artemis. And this goddess Artemis was amazing. It just showed uh, how filled with, with idolatry Ephesus was. The story was that this statue had fallen from heaven in a medial and uh, in, in fully form, in full form of a statue, a statue a, a Artemis. And so the people worshipped this thing. And uh, they venerated her and uh, sacrificed to her. So this was, this was a big deal. This was a big thing. But people began to stay away from this thing and turn to the living God. They did it straight away. They didn't hesitate. Now, we need to replace the idols in our lives for one reason and one reason only. It's because we drift. And because we need to worship. We were designed to worship. If you don't replace with the living God, you will worship something else. You will worship something it's not enough to recognize. It's not enough to remove. You need to replace. And obviously, my encouragement to you is that you replace with the living God, that you replace with Jesus Christ, that you put him at the center. Because I tell you, you will want to worship something. You will, you will worship something. You will sacrifice to something. You will be looking for something to sacrifice to. I once taught a, a boy... He made it pretty high in soccer. He represented Australia uh, under 21. Uh, he gave his life for soccer. When he came back, uh, he actually played for Adelaide United uh, for a few years. I mean, this boy ate, breathed, and lived soccer. I knew him since he was the age of 12. I saw him grow up. There was never, I never saw him without a soccer ball in his hand. I hit this kid. This is all that he dreamt of. He threw his life into this. Every decision, everything he did was about soccer. And he made it. And he made it well. But then through injury and a few other things, it just stopped. It's taken away from him. Now, I remember when I was speaking to him, he was about 28. You know, and he was just lost. He was just lost after that. He had made an idol out of this sport. And now it was ripped away from him. It was gone. And he was desperately searching for something to throw his life into again. Why did he feel so empty? Why did he feel like his life had no meaning anymore? Because his heart was searching. His heart, heart was searching for a God. His heart was searching for a God to sacrifice to again. I'm hoping that by now he's found the one true God, the real God. I don't know. But that's the reason why. Because we need to be able to replace the idols in our lives. And I think one of the things that motivates me the most to be able to replace idols in my lives is just to remember just, just how dangerous they are. Not only do they shipwreck your faith, they shipwreck your entire life. There's Martin Luther, who was a great reformer of the Christian church, once went so far as to say this, that with the Ten Commandments, the first one is, don't have any other gods except me. This is God's commandment, right? Martin Luther said, that was no mistake. That was in potluck. That didn't just appear there by mistake. Moses didn't just write it down because he heard something and, yeah, I'll just put that on first. He said, it was purposely put there by the living God. Because all the other nine commandments, they rest on that first commandment. You break every other nine commandment because you have replaced Jesus, because you have replaced God. You replace God, you worship anything else, and you break every other commandment. You break every other commandment, you mess up your life. It is crucially, crucially important.
Let me highlight it like this. One of the commandments is, don't lie. When you lie, why do you lie? You lie because, like me, you want to save face at that particular moment. Why do you want to save face? You want to save face because at that particular moment, someone's opinion is more valuable to you than Jesus. You've replaced Jesus. You've put an idol in your life. Every commandment hinges on that first one. Don't have any idols. Don't have any other gods. Don't worship any other gods except me first. Later on, Paul goes on to write a book, uh, a letter to the Ephesians. And um, it's, it's a great letter. If you're an XCRC boy, you love it. I know I do. The letter to the Ephesians. And I just want to read something that he wrote to them afterwards. Because I think it's a, it's a great way to finish. It's a great prayer. He, he prays for these guys. And he once again goes back to focus, to focus on this area about removing idols from their lives. But just before I do that, just, I just want us to just think about what I said tonight, to take it away, to think about it seriously, to examine ourselves, like the Bible says, to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. If, if you're like me, like I've said, you've got things that come in that take your attention away from, from God, from putting Jesus at the center. And I just want to urge you from their heart tonight that if we look at Paul's example in his third missionary journey as he entered the city of Ephesus, that like him, we recognize the idols in our lives, that we remove them and that we replace them with the living God. Amen. Can I ask you to stand, please? just want to finish with these words. <clears throat> this is um, after Paul had made great friends in Ephesus and uh, a church was birthed. Sometime later, he writes him a letter. The church, um, it's... Um, the letter to the Ephesians. I just love you to close your eyes. Because if nothing else works, this will. Putting Jesus at the center is what's going to help. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult when you focus on the things you want to try and get rid of. Sometimes you just end up you know, being, being drawn into them again. We've heard the, the analogy before about people who want to give up smoking and I think about smoke and I think oh, I've got to cut down. I've got to think about, I've got to put, get the patch. Uh, I've got to get uh, lighter cigarettes. I've got to get this, get that. And they just start, keep smoking because they're focusing on the wrong thing. But when they focus on the health and the benefits and the rewards and the blessing and the longevity of cigarettes, <laughs> some of you are nodding, <laughs> then, that's, then that's what helps. And I think that if we just focus, maybe just focus on Jesus. Just, just, just focus on him afresh that's going to give us the, uh, the strength, the direction, and the revelation that we need to put him first again. This is Paul speaking. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love 
that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Heavenly Father, I just pray tonight that this would become a reality in our lives. That Lord, by focusing tonight on your love, on the endless, unsearchable riches of your love tonight, that once again, you would take your rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. That Holy Spirit, through your conviction, through your power, you would enable us to boldly remove anything or anyone, any thought, any desire, any plan, any idea that is not Christ-centered. I pray, Lord God, like the people of Ephesus 2,000 years ago, that we would burn, that we would destroy and turn back to the living God and give you the adoration, give you the focus, give you the priority that only you are worthy of. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would move us, that you would challenge us, and you would redirect our hearts and our lives to you afresh tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.